Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Geek Warning from the Escape Collective. I'm James Huang. I'm joined today by Escape Collective technical editor Dave Rome in Sydney, Australia. Hi, Dave. Good morning. Afternoon. And <laughs> and sitting right here next to me here at the Boulder Group Petto Workshop here in Boulder, Colorado, is pro mechanic Zach Edwards. Hi, Zach. Hello. Uh, Ronan, still on paternity leave. Uh, I keep seeing him pop up on our members-only Discord channel, though. So, uh, Ronan, if you're listening to this, which I'm pretty sure you probably are, cut it out and get back to changing diapers. Like You're off for a few weeks. Stay off. We'll see you in September. I think he's a nervous wreck right now, having uh, seen the worlds on and all the new tech coming like through the track. <laughs> that, unfortunately for our, our listeners, uh, uh, James and I don't really pay a huge amount of attention to. Uh, and Ronan, I think, is very stressed about, about the timing of all of this. <laughs> like it, it's, it's probably eating him alive to not be able to share with everyone all the crazy things that are going through his head right now yeah he keeps uh he keeps hinting it like maybe maybe i'll just do a quick piece and, and kaylee is like, like ronan no no no, no. don't make me <laughs> yeah, don't make me block you out of your own email <laughs> i mean to be fair though there's lots of really cool new track stuff there is there is it's a big year for sure there's a lot of stuff going on I and mean, we'll get into a little bit of that yeah. coming up on the sorry show. everyone um but yes ronan sorry like you're gonna have to you gotta hold your powder there buddy <laughs> Stay stay off. Anyway, uh, how's everyone doing this week? Yeah, good. Yes. Hold, holding up. Looks like you got plenty of bikes getting ready for Leadville here. Oh, yeah. Always. Always busy. Uh, Dave, you seem actually like like normal normal now. No, not quite. Still got some carryover asthma, but uh, I am riding again. I'm back testing. Uh, yeah, doing a little last minute testing, heading off to the US in a few days. So trying to test as much as I can so I can write it all up while I fly. What are you coming to the U.S. for, Dave? There's a a, a brand releasing some new products, uh, and in addition to that, I'm going to be attending the Made Show, so the North America's Handmade Bicycle Show, uh, which is going to be held in Portland, Oregon, toward the end of the month. Uh, that one's exciting to me because I haven't been to to that show before, and it's it's a new edition of that show. It's a new new people running it, and and you'll be there, James. I will be. I will be, and and. And uh, apparently I was supposed to make accommodations for you as well, wasn't I? Mm. I'll bring an air mattress. You'll be fine. Okay. As long as it's not a, a bus stop, I'm fine. <laughs> Excellent. Well, uh, this summer continues to serve up a whole bunch of fun stuff for us to talk about today, uh, including we're going to talk about the new specialized Tarmac SL8. Uh, Ridley's got a new TT bike. We've got some new tools and lights to quickly chat about. Uh, one of my favorite road clothing brands is now diving into the mountain bike space, uh, and we're going to dive deep into this classified two-speed hub transmission review that you published earlier this week, Dave. Mm. Um, as usual, we also all have had a, a few things in our mind this past week, uh, and then we'll share a little public service announcement to close things out. Uh, but before we get into the news, just a quick reminder that this Geek Warning podcast, as is everything we do at Escape Collective, uh, it's wholly funded by our members. That means you, hopefully, uh, meaning that there are no ads, no sponsored episodes, no questions as to who we work for, which, to be clear, is all of you. So if you like what you're hearing and seeing from us at Escape Collective, please consider becoming a member if you haven't already signed up. So you not only get full access to all of our incredible content, but full members also get to jump into our, I would say, remarkably civil comment section, mm. uh, as well as the exclusive members-only Discord channel where our community talks about, well, pretty much everything from chain waxing to, like, no joke, how to keep riding as a parent. And, like, also there was discussion of changing diapers the other day. And from a tech person's point of view, the, the Discord has some uh, pretty impressive individuals on it. 
uh, GP Lama, Shane Miller hangs out there. Um, Raul Lucia hangs out there. So there's, uh, there's some people with some pretty impressive, uh, knowledge and advice if, if you, uh, if you're in there. So definitely some good access to a lot of mm. the collective brain trust for sure. Mm. Monthly subs start at just seven bucks US per month. Uh, with we have discounted options for annual memberships. Uh, and if you want to check all that out, you can head over to escapecollective.com slash join for more info. Uh, before we get into the news, we do have one little corrections corner thing to issue here. Uh, so in last week's episode, we were talking about that new Allied Alpha. Uh, and then some kind of quirks about that stem that they use in the internal cable writing. Uh, so, uh, Sam Pickman from Allied reached out to me and just wanted to, uh, was, was asking us to clarify something about the, uh, bar height adjustment setup on that. So it, while it is still not super, super straightforward, it is possible to do that without disconnecting all the hoses. Uh, there are some caveats, however. So I think I mentioned in that episode that there is a separate kit that allows you to run the steer tube above the stem. So that is, however, not meant to be, uh, I mean, it could be permanent. It's just not really visually super appealing. Uh, but the big thing is that it is possible to cut the steer tube without having to unhook all the hoses. And the requirement there is that you have to run, uh, well, you either have to be extremely careful about it or you have to get the steer tube cutting guide that uh, Abbey Bike Tools made for Allied. So, um, so yeah, it is possible. It's just not super easy, but it is possible. So just wanted to issue that correction. So thanks, Sam, for pointing that out. And sorry for the oversight last week. I do like that Allied needed a special tool, well, thought to have a special tool to avoid this issue, and then um, contracted Abbey Bike Tools of everyone to have it made. Um, so, yeah. And then everyone gets a nice saw guide as a result of it. Um, <laughs> I mean, you do have to buy it separately, so it's not like it's included, but yeah. I get your point, Dave. Yeah. It is a nice saw guide. It's a nice saw guide, yeah. Yeah, it's... It's it's one of the more limiting saw guides. Like as a shop, you can't just have that saw guide because it doesn't fit like aero stuff and it doesn't fit oversized steers. But anything like one and one eighth and and less, it's it's my go to. So anyway, I'll uh, I'll I'll stop talking about tools now. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, all right. Let's get into the news here. Um, maybe the biggest news of the week here, as far as tech goes. Uh, Specialized launched their new Tarmac SL8, which was uh, well. Not exactly a huge surprise. It definitely had been a whole bunch of leaks coming out in the last few weeks, and there was definitely some speculation that Specialized perhaps even pushed ahead the official launch date on this because mm. of all that. Um, but anyway, Dave, this one kind of fell in your lap. Mm. Uh, what is the story with the Tarmac SL8? Fell in my lap quite last minute, really. Um, yeah, it's, it's Specialized's new world's fastest road bike, which happens every three years for the company. So it's... Um, <laughs> It's it's very much still the tarmac. They're claiming it's the one one race bike to rule them all. You know, it's your aero, lightweight, uh, stiff, efficient, comfortable race bike. Do it all, uh, and it just does it all better now. In in their claim, and I've only got a couple of rides on it, but uh, for all the specialized haters out there, um, it's a very very good bike. Um, so, which shouldn't be surprising. Yeah. I mean, the Tarmac has always been a really, really good bike. Yeah. Like, but as much as people love to hate on Specialized, the reality is they don't miss all that often. No, no. I mean, obviously, their their marketing is a uh, can be a little over the top. But yeah, so basically, uh, the big story here, they've actually kind of removed some of the aero features in an effort to save quite a lot of weight and and also improve improve the stiffness and the ride quality. 
Um, but then they've also brought in some new arrow features, which sort of offset the initial losses. So the big story is uh, the new Rapide, Roval Rapide one-piece cockpit that they introduced uh, as an aftermarket item a few months back. Um, that's kind of the biggest saving. So that saves approximately about four watts. And speaking of Specialized, that, that sort of accounts for about 80% of the claimed uh, aero savings on the new bike. Um, but really, it's it's on the scales and uh, in the stiffness areas where I, I think the the new bike is kind of stands above and and uh, yeah justifies itself as being new. So how much lighter are we talking here? Uh, as a module, so like the S works, if you like count like frame fork, the seat post you're forced to run, and like the handlebar that you're forced to run, uh, it's it's like 250 grams lighter than the Tarmac SL7. Uh, and as a frame set, as a frame, it's like a hundred grams more than, uh, the lightest ethos, which is, uh, incredibly light. So yeah, it's, it's now sub 700 grams as a frame in an S-Wax level. Uh, the fork is also very light. Uh, the C post is, is very light. It's like 160 gram C post in its full length. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a very lightweight package now. Uh, and they've basically achieved that by, um, seemingly going to round tubes which are not necessarily known to be error <laughs> uh talk to me about the speed sniffer the speed sniffer so the sl8 or uh, as many people are is calling that what it's it. actually called it is actually yes. it is actually called yes. the speed sniffer that's it, awful yeah terrible naming i think uh, kudos specialized for having a bit of a sense of humor with this one um yeah the speed sniffer uh the they built a nose cone into the head tube and being a nose cone nose that's now a schnoz on the bike uh it's it's basically this uh yeah angled angled nose cone forward of the steerer tube so effectively the steerer tube is now placed at the back of this very elongated head tube uh so it's smooths the airflow onto that wide oversized one and one and a half inch bearing uh head tube and uh yeah lets the airflow come smoothly onto it rather than it just being this big block to the wind um the downside is, is yeah, it's it's got this ugly nose to the to the bike, which people are, are having a good time with. And Specialized knew it was there, and they called it the Speed Sniffer. I, I will say it does look better than the initial leaked photos that we I have think, seen earlier. I think some colors look less, yes, like horrible than others. Yeah, it, it is. It's it's not as elegant as the SL7 was in general. Mm. I mean, um, that was just like such a aesthetically good bike mm -hmm. yes like, i would agree that's most companies kind of looked at that and was like how can we make our own version of this right yeah right yeah so i i've got a photo in my review where i've actually turned the handlebars 90 degrees so you can kind of see how much the steerer is offset to the the, the head tube and i think that is probably the worst photo of the head tube <laughs> you will possibly find on the internet and that was that was intentional um but yeah in in person like i've already gotten used to it uh, i think you know it's like it's just like how everyone hates on the the latest iteration of every Durace crank that's ever come out. I think I think within weeks people will just will see it in person and be like, "Ah, oh, that's actually not so bad." I overreacted. I mean, it kind of it reminds me of the like first like the Dogma yeah. the F8, yeah. right? Like that stuck out. Only like one of these was designed in a wind tunnel, and one yes, very much. And, and the Dogma's so. head, the Dogma's <laughs> head tube didn't match with the fork, whereas Specialized have at least no, it was like a weird, it. yeah, yeah. yeah. So I mean, yeah, Specialized are absolutely not the first to to put a little nose cone in front of their in front of the steerer tube here. Uh, Trek have done it. 
Pinero have definitely done it. But yeah, I think I think Specialized seem to have done a pretty good job with it. Yeah, it's really not all that different from when um I can't remember what generation of Madone it was, but the one where you can still get it with rim brakes. It had mm-hmm. those integrated Bond Trigger Aero rim brakes with like the little like speed flap thingies. Yep. Um I mean that very much was an elongated head tube. Yes. Yeah, very it, much so. So yeah. yeah. Um only that I feel like the difference is like a lot of the other ones with like it's straight the whole way. This kind of like has a very bulbous looks like a nose. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. A uh, couple of questions for you, Dave. This new cockpit. So you said that the new one piece setup it accounts for roughly eighty percent of the aero gains on the SL8 versus the SL7. Mm-hmm. Uh, can someone with an SL7 buy that cockpit and stick it on their bike? Absolutely. I mean, it's been for sale for months. Yep. Yep. Uh, it's a direct fit. You ideally would get a, a different spacer kit. Uh, and I'm blanking on the name, but one of Allison's, uh, Gregory Thomas. Um, he actually recommended an aftermarket kit, which allows a better integration of that cockpit on the SL7. But I'm blanking mm. on the name on who actually produ- produces that. So I'm sorry, Gregory. Mm, if we remember, uh, we'll put it in the show notes. Mm. We'll do that. Um, question then. Uh, so I know that one of the things that Specialized mentioned was that the um, basically the new seat tube was the new seat tube is as small as the SL7 seat post used to be. Mm. And that means oh, it's a uh, new compared to the Venge narrow. Oh, sorry. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, which means the new seat post on the SL8 is particularly small and particularly narrow. Um, 18.5 like millimeters the, at its widest. Do you notice it flexing at all or anything? No, like, does, no. Um, so they claim they've improved the, like the vertical compliance of the seat post, um, which to me, it isn't super obvious. Like, it's definitely not a a rigid post in that sense. You can sort of bounce on the saddle a bit. Um, but I, I wouldn't say that's a noticeable improvement in comfort. Um, but what is noticeable, and, and this is what they've claimed, is that it's no, for like, um, laterally, I guess. Um, sorry, torsionally. I'm, I'm, it's very early in the morning here. Torsionally speaking, uh, they're claiming it's no more, it's no more flexible than the one that the seat post that was on the SL7, uh, and I can completely confirm that um, it's actually quite stiff and surprisingly so in that regard. Hmm. Okay, yeah. Um, so related to that handlebar question that I asked you earlier, um, it seems to me that Specialized would kind of have a little bit. Okay, granted, like you still have the weight reduction to to talk about, but. Uh, from an aero perspective, um, it kind of seems like Specialized isn't really making a great case for itself as to why you would, if you have an SL7, why you would buy a whole new SL8 instead of just getting the new cockpit on your bike. So it's new, James. Mm. It's new. Yeah. I mean, I felt a bit let down. Like I, the new one, it's like you said, it doesn't seem like it's different enough for someone to run out and buy it if they already have an SL7. Or like I was hoping for something, I guess what I'm hoping for would be a new Vinge. But like you've taken a bike that's really, really good all arounder. You made it a, basically like it's an Athos rear end, mm-hmm. an old Venge front end sandwiching a tarmac middle, right? It's basically this bike. Mm. And so you have this bike that's not aesthetically as pleasing and isn't necessarily faster. Like it has faster handlebars, but you can put those on any bike, right? Yeah. I feel like if you're going to make a bike ugly, <laughs> then like go full out and make it be the fastest, most aero race bike that you can like there's a market for that like plenty of people buy s5s and madones so like why not make 
a really good aero race bike. I think they still can. Well, yeah. Well, but the, uh, people have been saying they're going to come out with a new Vinge for like the last five years. Mm. They they have they they have been saying that, and uh, I suspect that you know knowing that companies work multiple years in advance, and knowing what we've known for a while now about these changes to the UCI technical rules with with uh, two profiles and that sort of thing, um, it makes sense to, if you look at the Athos tarmac and a theoretical Venge where all these things would fit in. So the Athos is the unabashed, super light, completely non-aero bike. Yeah. The Tarmac now is getting progressively lighter, still supposedly is quite aero. You know, they're saying it's, I think they're still claiming that it's more aero than the last generation Venge that was out. Um, but as you said, Zach, this does leave the door pretty wide open for like an ultra aero road bike. Yep. And, Yes, people have been speculating for quite a while that the, like that a new Venge is coming at some point, and it 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 sure seems like Specialized is setting the stage for that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, but we've like I said, we've said that like the last I don't know the last three tours of France, we've been like, there's going to be a new Venge, and like when you look at how product cycles work, that should have happened already. Well, un- unless they're waiting for the new, unless they were waiting for that new UCI rule to kind of come into effect, which it now has, so it wouldn't have made a whole lot of sense for it to come out like two years ago or something like that. Because so why not release a new Venge now instead of a new Tarmac? I don't know. Probably I mean, the Tarmac was the, ready. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, who knows what's going on internally? Um, it, it really does feel like a Venge. I know, I, yes, we've been saying this for a while, but it really does feel like a Venge is super imminent. Um, but yeah, I mean, at this point, it's just, you've, you've got to think that they've been trying to get it done. You have, it, that has to be in the cards. Yeah. Or maybe there's further changes to the UCI rules that we don't know about and we haven't heard about and Specialized is privy to and is waiting for them. Or or maybe there's, yeah, there, there could be other external factors causing this delay or causing them to be hesitant about it. Maybe the market's just not as big as we think it is and that they're selling a heap of tarmacs and that the aero bike market is kind of more just a, a, a branding flex to have and it's maybe not that lucrative and maybe specialized know that who knows there's there's a, a lot of questions and maybe there's uh more reasons to them not having avenged than just uh them being lazy <laughs> i don't know it's yeah. i mean i'm not yeah i guess like the new tarmac like you said like it's you know it's going to ride really well yeah. and do all the things that a race yeah. road bike should do it just felt a bit i don't know a bit meh. yeah like, yeah, and I get that. I think everyone was expecting this like, ooh, new brand new bike that's like super exciting and everyone's like kind of like, oh, it's kind of ugly on the front and then it has an Athos rear end. Yeah, and, cool. and kind of questionable data and all that. Um, yeah. But for me, I, like going back to your, your question, James, of like, why would you get this is I think Specialized is a loyal fan base and when they release a new model, they have quite a I mean, few customers who just immediately jump on it. They sold out immediately. Yep. Uh, and I think this, the reason to buy this, if you've got an SL7 S works and you, you, you love the bike, I think the reason that people will be buying this is that it's roughly 300 grams lighter than the bike they have now. So it's, you know, I, and that performance wise makes very little difference, but to people that have already, you know, that are willing to buy an S works, I mean, that's, that's gen, that'll be enough reason for them to do it. Right. Right. Um, what about the pricing on this whole thing? I know obviously there are a whole bunch of different models. Yeah. Um, is it is it like really, really offensive or is it only just kind of expensive? I feel like it's kind of wound back a slight amount since the hate like since the peak of COVID pricing. Um, but perhaps not as much as people would have liked to have seen. So 
Yeah, it's it's high. I think what's it like eight thousand ish dollars? Should I actually look it up rather than just pretend like I know the pricing off the top of my head? <laughs> um, for uh, in US dollars, it's fourteen thousand for a complete S Works bike. That's not small money uh, by any means, but it's also it's not the most expensive bike out there. Uh, and yeah, the the next model down, the one I'm testing, the Pro has a, like a slightly heavier frame it doesn't have that one piece cockpit so it's not as far not as aero as the s works uh that's eight and a half thousand us dollars uh with you know altegra di2 and um the the s the cl version of the repeat wheels so it's yes it's a lot of money for an altegra bike um it's sort of in line with where the likes of trek are at the moment um yeah people will buy it others will be offended by it uh i mean that's that's specialized pricing for you so if you had an sl7 non s-works you'd be more beneficial to buy a handlebar mm. rather than buying an sl8 yeah if if you're focused without, if, you, if you are of the opinion that aero is the best performance gain within these bikes which it is uh then yes you <laughs> your sl7 with the aero handlebar would be quicker than the SL8 Pro or SL8 Expert. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was interesting too because the new One Piece Bar, which is like, it looks really good, fast and arrow and light and all the things. Mm-hmm. They don't really make it in like fast arrow sizes. sizes that people want to race with, mm-hmm. which I found interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I think they need to add a few more sizes. Um, and that's something I remarked on in my, it wasn't a review. It was more like a build review. Um, there's ride impressions still to come, but, uh, I did remark that it, it, for all the effort they put into the aero side of things, it does feel strange for them to still equip like a 54 centimeter bike with a 42 centimeter handlebar. It sort of feels like if they'll really focus on the aero side, then, you know, just dropping two centimeters from that handlebar would probably give as much benefit as everything else they've done. So perhaps more. So it's uh yeah for me I think they they're still leaving the aero side of things on the table um in probably in an effort to be kind of normal to the consumer. Right. Mm. I mean it's similar to me when you like see a TT bike sold with compact gearing mm. you're like this is meant to go really fast but like you're also selling it to normal people. Yeah, I think they they in that case they know the market for the Ironman category right. but it's yeah I I definitely agree. Um Anyway, it's, uh, yeah, there's a review to come. Uh, I've been riding it. I've been enjoying it. Sorry to say, it is a good bike. All right. Well, uh, I'm looking forward to that review. I'm sure people listening are also looking forward to that. So, uh, yeah, hopefully you'll get some time, get some more time to get some more, get some more miles or kilometers on that thing, I should say. Mm. Um, speaking of aero bikes, uh, Ridley, a uh, Belgian brand, they have a new TT bike called the Dean Fast. Uh, which I guess you're not going to call it a Dean slow, I suppose. Um, but I mentioned earlier that we have these new UCI rules. I know Ronan has talked about it a whole bunch. Um, previously, the maximum allowable aspect ratio for uh, frame cross-sections was 3 to 1, and now it's gone up to 8 to 1. Um, and we are only just now starting to see bikes that have been developed around these new rules, and this bike is very much one of those. Um so yeah, we've got deeper deeper tube sections and narrower tube sections all around on this thing. Um, it's still not like super sharp back like we used to see, you know, a couple decades ago or something. Um, 
We also have these things called compensation triangles, which sort of just like fill in areas. Like in particular on this bike, the area around the head tube is quite filled in. All this is, of course, in the name of improved aerodynamic efficiency. You'll also have other changes like a new stem that sits in line with the top tube, uh, like an hourglass profile head tube. A couple interesting things on this thing. Um, Ridley has been a fan of this thing called F-Surface. It's like this textured, various textured surfaces that they use to supposedly kind of like strategically trip up the airflow to improve the uh, improve the drag numbers so that very this bike very much has that on there um it also has a two position front derailleur mount which is very much a nod to the faster speeds that people are going at in time trials particularly at top end racing um it, the mount's also removable completely so, so if you want to just run a one by you can do that um it has a well it has udh Mm. Sram Universal Driller Hanger, which is intriguing because if I remember correctly, this is maybe the first like dedicated road-ish bike that I can remember that has UDH. Certainly um, the first we've, time trial. <laughs> yeah, 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 and like we've we've talked a lot about UDH kind of making its way into gravel bikes, and that's for obvious reasons for people who want to like run a mullet setup on their gravel bike with the new transmission style. So that totally makes sense. Um, and yeah, we've been we've been hypothesizing for a while that UDH is going to make its way to the road, and still are not entirely sure when. Like SRAM might make a UDH play with componentry, but the fact that Ridley is putting it on here when there isn't even a derailleur to stick on here that would fully utilize that UDH T-type mount uh, that's intriguing. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, other thing that's kind of funny with this thing. Uh, so Ridley has long been a fan of PF30, still using PF30, which is kind of a bummer for me, but anyway, so be it. Um, but it actually has pretty generous tire clearance too, which I find kind of amusing. So it's designed around 28 mil tires, um, but Ridley is saying that it can fit up to 32 mil tires, which is an intriguing thing to mention for a TT bike because you don't usually need bigger tires on a TT bike, although maybe this hints at much wider wheels to come, hard to say. Um it's only three sizes. It's only offered as a frame set. <clears throat> it's only offered as a frame set with the dedicated seat post and base bar. No extensions are included, so people like to customize those anyway. It's actually not too heavy. It's for, for a TT bike anyway. It's claimed weight is 1,250 grams for the frame, four, 460 grams for the matching fork. Um, no mention or price. Uh, sorry, no mention of price or, interestingly, there are no aerodynamic claims that were mentioned in the press kit either. So... <laughs> um, looks more arrow don't really know if it's more arrow and i have no idea how much it is i love a new tt bike release that makes no claim of being aerodynamic but uh i know they made no claim yeah i know that's not the tr- the case but uh it is funny to me uh this is the most gravel like tt bike release i've seen in ages with the the udh <laughs> improved tire clearance and multiple bidden positions i mean gravel time trials are gonna be a thing yeah yeah <laughs> uh yeah, but I think there's no like with the UDH in particular. Like, there's no downsides to using it, even if, let's say, a theoretical derailleur never comes to fruition. Like, there's no downsides really. No, I mean, correct. I, at, the, at least not on a carbon frame anyway. Yeah, yeah. For me, I I thought the the downside would be like an increased dropout width, but I mean, it's it's promising to see that even a time trial bike, you know, they don't see that as enough of an issue. Kind of, uh, yeah, it's. It's definitely coming. UDH is definitely coming. Um, it's not on the yeah. new time. It just seems like it's definitely coming. 
just seems like kind of future proofing themselves because mm-hmm. like companies don't come out with TT bikes very often. No. So it's just like, if right. we're coming out with one, why not right. do this just in case a derailleur comes? Yeah, totally. Like it's not, they're, they're not doing themselves any disservice by including it on there. And like you said, Zach, even if there is nothing in the plans that a product manager would know about that we don't, um, you know, like you said, it, it's, it's a certain element of future proofing and just kind of giving yourself a little bit of insurance that your bike is still going to be applicable in a few years time. Yep. So yep. anyway, okay. um, yeah, so that's just, just a quick mention on that Dean fast. Um, so, um, I don't think we are planning on getting one in. Uh, I don't think Ronan is even planning on getting one in. And I have, certainly haven't talked to him about it because he's on paternity leave. So, uh, Ronan, I'm sure you are pouring over that press release. And I'm sure you are dying to know more about it. And I'm sure you would love to ride one. Talk to me about it in three weeks, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, Dave, one of your favorite recurring columns that people love is uh, when you get a whole bunch of new tools together. Mm. And there was one tool in particular that you wanted to talk about from your last roundup. What was it? Uh, sure. Uh, I think, well, the show notes tell me that tool is the Feedback Sports uh, Talk Wrench. Which is probably the most you wrote that you wrote that line. Oh, Dave. did I? Uh, yeah, it's uh, feedback. Sports <laughs> have a new talk wrench, uh, and it's probably of the things covered in the new tools day number four gallery. Uh, it's probably the most applicable to to the most people. Uh, and yeah, they've got their first adjustable click style talk wrench. So feedback sports previously the the range. The first version of the range torque wrench was basically a, a shared design with Presta Cycle, uh, which is kind of a, a dial style torque wrench, a beam, uh, a hidden beam style torque wrench. Uh, and they've discontinued that. This new one, yeah, it's an adjustable two to 14 newton meter uh, adjustable click torque wrench. Very compact in size, which is is quite nice. It comes in this little cute little tool roll with, uh, with a, about 13 different bits. Uh, and yeah, it works for me, probably the most unique feature, which is something that you don't see a lot at this torque range is that it, uh, it, it works in both clockwise and anti-clockwise directions from a torque measurement point of view, which is, is quite cool for anyone that's worked on some of the, the newer, like full suspension frames that have bolts needing to be tightened in the opposite direction to what you think. So yeah, I think it's, uh, it's a nice little package sells for about a uh, 120 us dollars, which not super cheap but uh yeah it, it does feel like a quality tool it it measures as as being accurate uh there are a couple of quirks in terms of using it uh the main one is that uh the the size of it you're tempted to kind of use the whole thing as a handle and if you do that you're going to get the wrong torque measurement so you actually need to just use the the very end of it as a handle so not super comfortable for workshop use but seems like a really good option for home mechanics or people that want a torque wrench to travel with hmm Okay then. Hmm. Sounds like sounds like it might be a winner there. Um, what else was I going to say about this? I don't remember. Is it? It's red. <laughs> it's red. Yes, it's red. Um, <laughs> moving on to the next little <laughs> bit of tech news. So, uh, Lazain is a company that people. Lazain is one of those companies that they just have like a really broad range of things. They've got like pumps and some tools and like bottle cages and bags and they just have they basically just have like accessories for everything um they they are the equivalent of like dishwasher tablets like a company of dishwasher tablets that makes like 10 different types of dishwasher tablet and you're just like what what's the difference between these why why do i need this much choice just just tell me which one to get 
And Lazine's like, uh, you have to look up the 35 different mini pumps we offer you and figure out which one's best for you. That is a, and then you get to pick the color you want. That is a very <laughs> random analogy, Dave. <laughs> but but kind of spot on, though. seemingly kind of apt. <laughs> anyway, uh, L- <laughs> Lazine has been going bigger into the electronics realm uh, in, in recent years. They certainly have been making a bigger push there. Uh, and they now have a new revised range of LED headlights. Um, so I will say these don't, seem like they are like, you know, particularly stand out, but it is kind of nice to see that they're, they've all been redesigned. They've got new cases, new like bead blasted black finishes. Uh, they say they have new optics that kind of have a little bit more even, a little bit more focused beams. Um, the big thing that I am really interested in, however, is just, it. it's kind of interesting to see the, the continued march of progress for battery technology. Um, because, like one of the Lazine lights in particular um, claimed output's 1,400 lumens, which is quite bright. Um, and it's in a standalone design. It doesn't have a separate battery pack or anything like that. It's still pretty compact. Um, but supposedly at full power, 1,400 lumens, it has a runtime of three hours, which is quite good, actually, because um, I do a regular Tuesday night ride with a bunch of friends. And most of us are running uh, Night Rider Luminas. Um, I know I run like a Lumina 1200 pretty regularly. And the claimed runtime on that thing, granted, it's quite small, but the claimed runtime on that thing at full is like barely an hour and a half. So this thing has yeah. supposedly more output and double the runtime and isn't that much bigger, um, which mm. is quite impressive, I think. Yeah, that is impressive. I'm thinking like of my old exposure Diablo that I've got sitting next to me, which is probably like seven years old now, but that's... I've got the thousand lumen model, and I think that one goes for like forty-five minutes at that. You know, so it's—I mean—that is some pretty good progress, and that was a a very high-end light. It still is, but uh, so yeah, I mean, that is definitely pretty impressive progress to to have you know triple that to go along, triple it to go along with Dave's previous comment. How many new headlight models do we have here? Oh my god, there are a whole bunch. <laughs> I can't even remember. I looked at the I looked at the press release, and then I looked at the website, and it's. There's a whole lot. Okay. There are multiple. I was just multiple, wanting to con- just. There check. are multiple <laughs> scents of dishwasher detergent that you can choose from on this one. Okay. Yeah i I once did a mini pump shootout where I ended up testing forty five different mini pumps. I remember and that one for Lazine. I'm like, send me, send me the ones that you you really like. You know, you that you sell the most of. And they sent fifteen like, of them. Ah, and they're like, oh, well, we just we just don't know where to begin with that. Like, you know, we just. Could we just send you one of each? <laughs> so that's like, um, if they can't and, narrow it down, how do they expect the consumer to narrow it down? Yeah. So I think I had four or five design pumps in there and that was them like really trying just to send me like just a, a random mix of samples. But like truthfully, Lazine's product range, like I, I look at their lights and I look at their, I look at their, uh, their mini pumps and I just think, you know what? I might just go for a run. <laughs> <laughs> it's just too much. Like, yeah. Pick the best ones and drop some. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, staggering range. Anyway, (laughs) dishwasher detergent. I'm going to, I'm totally going to think about that the next time I go to the grocery store. Um, Anyway, uh, Lazine, if you're listening to this, uh, I think you had mentioned something about possibly sending some samples over. And yeah, I'd like to check one of these out because I haven't run any Lazine headlights in quite a while and be curious to see how they are doing these days. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah, head over to lazine.com. I think that's the website and go and. And set a couple hours aside to see their latest headset, <laughs> see, see their latest headlight models. Um, moving on yeah, in the new, I, I, 
I haven't used their headlights, but I will I will give them a, a positive shout out now that I've rubbished them for having too much choice. Uh, I have really liked their rear lights. Their taillights are in quite the good. Last year like that's, or two. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. All their stuff is really good. There's just too many models that are overlapping with what they do. Mm. Like, I won't say all their stuff is really good. There are okay. some some pieces in the range for that the I most haven't part. had such great success with, but their rear lights are, Pumps and rear are lights great, great, and that bodes well for the front lights. So Yeah, so promising. We'll see how they do. Um, moving on, next next little bit of news that we have here. Um, so Velaccio is a company that most people will be familiar with uh, on the road world. Uh, they make really nice clothing. I think Zach, Zach, I think he used to sell it here for a little bit. Did he use it? For a little bit, yeah. Um, anyway, uh, they are now getting into mountain bike clothing for real. Like they've kind of dabbled in it a little bit in the past. Um, it's been very XC stuff. It previously. is. It has been very XC stuff, and it's been very very limited in scope. Um, but they now have a much broader range. Um, so they say it is quote. Equipment for riders who desire a refined and subtle look, sick of the logos and loud kit, but require the fit and performance of top-end race-inspired gear, unquote. That sounds very Villaggio-esque. Um, but there are a whole bunch of shorts. There's like trail pants, a bunch of different jerseys, and like you've got like hot weather and like wool blend stuff for cooler temperatures. Um, it, I will say it, it kind of reminds me of Rafa's off-road line in the sense that it's, it's very kind of like grown up and like nicely tailored and like nice, nice little details, good, good fits, very subdued colors. Stuff that you could wear on a mountain bike ride and then also like go to have dinner with afterwards and not look out of place. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I've got some samples on hand right now. It's pretty typical of Lacho quality. As far as I can tell, it does fit quite nicely. It does feel really good. The fabrics are great. Uh, I don't have pricing in front of me right hand, uh, right in front of me, but I, I, I know it is fairly expensive as Velocio stuff typically is. Um, but uh, it, it is – having come through the whole mountain bike clothing evolution from when people were still wearing Lycra to when it was very like sort of moto-inspired, loud, and like kind of like sloppy fits and stuff like that to what we have now, it, it is nice to see more options for stuff that is like – yeah, like, like growing up mountain bike clothing. You, you mentioned it's expensive, which uh, reminds me of my most favorite element of this whole of them launching this is uh, Pink Bike wrote a very short story. Mike has uh, wrote a very short story about you know how he's trying out this kit and it's new, and like obviously the first comments were like, "Look at the prices," and then someone from the company responded with just a link to uh, a page of called why it's so expensive <laughs> and i'm not even kidding they have an entire section so you're like right on the page there's a subheader why it's so expensive in brackets an open letter to the pink bike comment section <laughs> that is amazing <laughs> that's great it's just yeah it's just uh anyway chef's kiss i do like i have a lot of lows here clothing and have their mountain bike stuff from previous and is really, really good. But I do love the irony of the press release saying like when you want lack of logos, but they literally designed a new logo for this clothing. So it's like, that seems a bit funny to me. At least the logo is quite small. Yeah. But it's still like they're calling out how the lack of logos is important, but they went through the effort to make an entirely new logo for the clothing line. Well, yeah, they just want to have a new small logo. Yeah. It's just funny. I find it funny. (laughs) Anyway, that is some brilliant, brilliant marketing on Vlacho's part as far as the whole heading yep. off the pink bike comment thing. So good. Mm. Absolutely so good. Yep. Uh, yep. Well played. 
anyway, <laughs> so in, enough of that. What I really want to talk about is, uh, Dave, you just published your review, very, very long-term review of this classified mm. two-speed transmission rear hub. Uh, yep. And the comment section on that article has definitely been very vigorous, I should say. Mm. Uh, what do we need to know about this thing? Yeah, it's uh, it's it's designed to be a front derailleur killer. So they've they've really some say uh, uh, some in the comments are saying it's it's lazy, but basically they've replicated the the approximate fourteen tooth uh, jump between um, to replicate the chainring say on a Shimano two by setup. So if uh, it's designed, you remove the front derailleur, you run a one by gearing, you run uh, their own cassette that matches the number of gears that your derailleur and shifter have, uh, and then it basically hides the equivalent of the the jump from your front chain rings. It hides that into a internal geared hub uh, in the back hub. And yeah, the the idea is is that you're you're meant to then get the benefits of one by as in no front derailleur to fight with and um, no chance of dropping a chain and all that. Less uh, of a chance chain of line. dropping a chain. Less of a chance of dropping a chain. Uh, yeah, uh, better chain line. Um, but then you you still get the the tighter gear ratios and the the wider range of a two by setup. Uh, and and yeah, I mean the review covers all of this in in a lot of detail but there's there are some merits to it 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 shifts incredibly well incredibly quickly uh you can do it under full load without really caring what's going to happen uh up to a thousand watts it'll it'll still shift um and it'll do that incredibly reliably um the downside is and there's there's quite a few but for me and and for ronan who also tested it the the most obvious downside is that they they currently don't necessarily have great shifter integration so there are ways to solder their shifter into a di2 lever if you're if you're game um and if you want to avoid the warranty on everything but uh but beyond that you're using their own uh sprint shifter button which uh does connect to that is wireless but it's uh it's yeah ergonomically it's it's not as good as say you know using SRAM shifters or, or shimano's own shifters and even if ergonomically it's not as good i think the big thing is that ergonomically it's different than what you have yes. on the right hand side yes so that's that's certainly that was a sticking point for me is even after months and months of using it i was still having to think about the shift so and i still found myself being like you know i, I got to a point where i was so used to having the classified system on the bike but i'd still uh and on my on my gravel bike i've kind of budget so i've got uh altegra shifters and i've still got the, the the shift guts in the left so i haven't like you know, I don't have just the brake lever and I'd find myself clicking it thinking that I'd use the classified <laughs> lever and then I'd be like, oh, hang on. No. And then I'd like reach my thumb down to the sprint shifter and then actually change. But so like in my mind, I'm like, yes, you've now got a two speed system, but my brain couldn't wrap around the idea of having to use an entirely different shifter mechanism after all these years of shifting the way I have. Uh, so, yeah, that that was the biggest sticking point. Classified claim they're working on solutions there. They're working with the big drivetrain manufacturers to try and prove this compatibility. I'm I'm not convinced that they'll necessarily get there because those big drivetrain manufacturers probably now see them as a competitor. Well, yeah, I was just going to say, there's absolutely no motivation whatsoever on the part of Shimano or SRAM or certainly not Campagnolo. Like, there's, mm-hmm. there's, it, there's not even no motivation on their part to... to 
make their stuff compatible with classified. As you said, Dave, like now classified seems like they've gotten to the point where they are seen as a competitor in a lot of ways. And if anything, those companies would want to actively prevent compatibility with yep. their stuff because they don't want yep. people who own any of their stuff to move over to a classified setup. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, so that's a big barrier. Other barriers, um, weight and efficiency. That's that's kind of the the two sticking points for a lot of people. So uh, classified doesn't say so, but it, it is heavier. It added about three hundred grams to my gravel bike versus running a, a really wide range one by setup. Uh, and that one by setups not wasn't particularly light. It was you know using a, an eleven to forty six tooth eleven speed XT cassette, which is is quite a boat like cassette. Uh, so yeah, it shouldn't have added that much weight to my bike. It did. Uh, and efficiency wise, uh, speaking with an industry expert on the matter who wanted to be anonymous and no, it's not Habini. Uh, best case scenario, it's 98% efficient. More likely it's somewhere closer to the 95% efficiency. So even in the best case scenario, it's, it's debatable as to whether those losses uh, are worth the 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 benefits you get classified claim that there are no losses because you you make it up and by using like a bigger chain ring keeping the chain on a bigger chain ring so there's less chain wrap um that you get better chain line and that you can that you're incentivized to use the the shifting more therefore keeping your your chain more in the center of the cassette to optimize that chain line and that that offsets any any losses from the internal gear hub uh i'm less convinced of that but i i I at least agree that the the losses are, are marginal. Hmm. How much motivation would you say would there be on someone to get a classified setup? Because I guess that's what I'm, try- what I'm trying to figure out here. While I will certainly acknowledge that front shifting in a lot of situations is not entirely perfect for some stuff, um, if you look at classified as an alternative – in concept, it seems quite viable, but mm-hmm. there are a lot of downsides. Like it is, like you said, it is heavier. It is mm-hmm. quite quite expensive. Uh, it requires yep. a new rear wheel. It requires mm-hmm. a dedicated cassette. Um, so that's one thing we didn't mention yep. yet. Like it, it's it's their own cassette that you have to run. At least at least in your rear hub. Yeah. Yeah. But, and then yeah. Uh, and then the shifter integration thing is kind of a big sticking point for me. So yeah, I mean, we've talked about classified before, and I've always been of the opinion. Uh, maybe not. Well, certainly early on in, in when classified first came on the scene, like I always viewed it as a play to get bought. Um, mm. but yep. it seems like they're, they're well beyond <laughs> that at this point. And I'm not really sure what the end game is here. I mean, they, they have big ambitions to be a, a major player in the e-bike world. Um, I think they have ambitions to, uh, it was hinted to me a while ago that they have ambitions to be an entire drivetrain solution, which which tells me that they'd probably end up producing their own derailleur or derailleur alternative, um, and that they'd probably have to create their own shifter and all that. So, I mean, they've they've been taking on funding, and and if they end up using that funding for for that sort of product development, then perhaps they could become the third drivetrain manufacturer, right? Like, you know, perhaps they could just slot <laughs> in right in front of Campagnolo. Dave. Fourth. No, third. They'd slot in directly in front of Campagnolo. Who oh, are, third in terms currently, of... I see what you mean. Yeah, in terms of market size. Um, yeah, no, there's more than four drivetrain manufacturers. I'm just thinking about 
the, you know, they they could become the the third biggest in in theory. Got it. Um, maybe that's their ambitions. I I don't know. I can't I can't speak to that. But it's it does seem like they're they've got some ambitions to be a, a significant player in the space. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, right now the the product doesn't do enough for me to make me feel like I'd want to buy it. What about for a mountain bike? I think I want it less. Truthfully, like uh, I think right now, as long as you're having to use the same long cage derailleur, which you are, you're having to stick with a Shimano or SRAM or a TRP big big derailleur, you're adding even more weight to the to the end of the rear end of your frame, which is you know you're adding unsprung weight to your suspension, which is is kind of the opposite of what you want to do and. Yeah, for me, I, I don't know. I think the again the the shifter integration is an issue. Um, although the mountain bike shifter is a lot better, it's it's a little ring shifter that that sits next to your grip. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm I'm not convinced of it in that application because I, I think I I think both SRAM and Shimano are doing really good wide range one by setups, uh, and the the steps in between each shifter actually makes sense when you're off road. And yeah, I think more weight and an extra shifter to think about when off-road is, is not what I want. So then who is this for? Uh, it's for me, the, the people buying this, it's, it's fringe. So like Ronan was super positive about it. He, he raced it. He, he built up a road bike, um, for a race that was kind of rolling terrain where the climbs for him weren't going to be a pinnacle moment. So any loss of efficiency on in that small ring equivalent weren't going to be a deal breaker to him. It was more just about like surviving the climbs. Um, so he built a bike with a 60 tooth chain ring uh, and then had this like bailout gear to, to use when the 60 tooth chain ring was too big. Uh, and the way he speaks about it is he, he truly believes that that setup was uh to his advantage and that he was gapping people on descents that he's never done before and that he was just rolling rolling people um just in the ability to hold a really steady cadence when people are spinning out so i think that's one example is like you know if you're if you're racing and you want a really big chain ring and those really big chain rings tend not to shift very well with a front derailleur so i think that's that's one area uh i think there's other areas like if you've got a, a gravel bike that doesn't accept a front derailleur, but you really like two by shifting, I think that's another reason to have it. Uh, and then I'm, I've also been hearing from people that just like have built like a, a cyclocross race bike and they've got their, their regular chain ring on the front, their race chain ring, uh, and they race the bike and then they can go home and lightly spin the legs or they can join a gravel, you know, go on a gravel ride and have a, a bailout gear on their cyclocross bike. So there are, there are uses for it and there are benefits to it, but I, I think that those benefits and those uses are quite niche. Mm. Zach, have you had any of those coming through the shop yet? I have not. No. Interesting. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, which seems... I've also not had anyone be like, ooh, that's kind of interesting. Let me, like, let's talk about it. Or basically, I've se- not seen any in person and I've not seen anyone have interest for them. Do you think that maybe has anything to do with the fact that you are generally able to make two by systems work pretty well? I mean, I don't think so. I think like uh, most modern two by setups like can work really well, but also like for one by you can do like, let's say for SRAM on a gravel bike, you can run the mountain bike trailer and cassette and have 
literally exactly the same range as a double. Uh, yeah, or more range in some cases. Yeah. So I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't see the need for it, and it seems like something that like isn't refined enough that I'd want to go and try it. I guess that's what I'm struggling with because as much as there is a lot of kind of like G whiz factor to this thing, um, once you look past that, I'm just not seeing a whole lot of practical advantages. I mean, maybe I'm missing something. I I haven't ridden it on the, in the real world yet, but um, it's like, I, yeah. And it's like, I want to like it. I want to be more excited about it, but I can't quite get there. They've they've done a really good job of, creating an internal geared hub with a wireless through axle that shifts it and making it compatible with pretty much every road bike and gravel bike on the market. Like that is no small feat and they, they deserve a huge amount of kudos for, for doing that. That's like, there's quite a lot of like genius to that, but fundamentally it's not a product I would buy. It just seems like something that is a for people who like to just try new things just for sake of trying new things or people that like to tinker with stuff like Ronin, who's, how can I maximize using the 60 tooth chainring and still be able to get, mm. get up a hill? Right. Like that's just so few people though. Like that's not, yeah, not it's, mass. it's a niche product. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. All right then. So yeah, I, I don't, I, I mean, there's some people in the comments and this isn't something I, I had in my review, which is, uh, truthfully just something that I didn't think was, uh, didn't cross my mind that much, but, uh, there's quite a few people saying that the gear ratio that they've they've settled on, which is uh, basically a 0.7 gear reduction, um, that it's not enough, and that if classified had rethought the gearing and said, you know, Shimano is doing a 14 tooth chain ga- uh, jump between its chain rings, why don't we do like a 20 tooth jump? Who because needs we can. that? Yeah, so there's people in the comment section being like, I would buy this for touring, or I would buy this for for my uses if classified did this. Uh, I'm not convinced that those people would buy that's it. That's like even a smaller th- market than what we're already yeah. talking about. Um, so I think that's actually a second product that Classified could offer. Maybe they'd get into the touring market and offer an even wider range. For me, from when I'm riding a gravel bike and I shift, there's already enough of an abrupt jump between the gear ratios offered that I don't know if I'd want any bigger of a jump because you're already feeling like you're just dropping the chain off a chain ring and that you're having to adjust to a three gears in the back to to keep your momentum going and to keep your cadence at a reasonable level. I think if if that ratio widens, you're really uh you're losing the performance side of the product and it becomes a different product at that point. So yeah, it's there are ways that I think classified could probably broaden the scope of this product, but there's always trade-offs. Huh. All right. Well, um, as Dave mentioned, he did write a very, very detailed review. So uh, if you get some time in your day, head over to escapecollective.com and go check that out. Uh, Dave, thanks for putting in all the time to do such a thorough review on that thing. Because I think, uh, as, I, as I mentioned, this was something that a lot of people were very, very curious to hear more about. So you said you wouldn't buy it, but will you leave it on your bike? Since you no, already I have haven't. It. Okay, you it's gone. It's back in a box. Already gone. See ya. See ya later. Uh, I'm now running Apex Explore 12 speed mechanical. Um, I prefer it. Mm. Yeah. Mm, telling. Hot take. Uh, <laughs> well, okay. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, like I said, head over to the site and check out that review. And, and, uh, and yeah, it's as always, uh, I guess one of the reasons why our members pay 
for access to Escape Collective is for unvarnished opinions like that, because I believe I have yet to see anything that was written about Classified that was less than glowing, I think. So refreshing. Mm. Anyway, uh, all right, that's enough for the news for this week. Uh, let's move on to see what we all have on our minds. So it's been another week. Lots of things have been going on. Anyone have anything to mm. share? Sure. I do. What you got, Dave? Uh, I've been, I've been smelling, sniffing. I've been using my speed sniffer for a lot of, uh, <laughs> a lot of acetone as of late. And, um, actually that's really bad. That, that there's connotations there that I don't like. I'm sorry. Everyone. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, no, but acetone is, uh, proving to be a savior because I think a lot of component brands are getting a little overzealous with their logos. <laughs> And uh, an example I give is I, I rebuilt my, um, I, I own a Ritter Phantom, which is a steel road bike. And I, I needed to get a, a disc brake road bike back on the road. And I still had that frame set. And I rebuilt it and I've used um, Eastern cockpit components, which I just really like the, the shape of the handlebar. And I typically like to match my brands when I'm using, you know, match the stems of the handlebar. And I needed a seat post. And it's an EA90 seat post and they've got two different logos on the seat post, which like occupy the whole seat post. And I'm like, well, I don't need Eastern twice on the seat post. So I've removed one of the logos and it just looks infinitely better. Uh, and it just adds a, a really nice high end look to the bike by not having it blasted in white logos. And I like that brands are not covering this stuff with clear coat. And you really can remove it as simply as uh, rubbing it with some acetone in a rag. What yep. happens if you have a product that has a big logo on it that you want to remove, but it's on top of a painted finish? Like a lot of carbon rims, for example, have this issue. Like the rim itself mm. comes out of the mold, it's painted, and then you have a logo that is painted on top of that. Why are we painting rims? A lot of times for, the rim is already black and then we're painting the, it black. The rim is already black, but a lot of times for <laughs> carbon rims, because the construction is so complicated and because there's just, it, it's, it's very, very difficult to have the. We just don't outer, want to see carbon weave. Well, a, a lot of times for those, for those rims, it could be structurally just fine, but visually that outermost surface may not be perfect. But who cares? You know, why, the, why do we want to add weight and paint to a bike or a reel? Be, because apparently when someone's spending like, 2500 bucks on a, on a carbon wheel set they don't want it to they don't want to see imperfections in their carbon weave i guess are the syncross rims painted or are they raw carbon they were raw i believe okay i'm asking because um partington actually paints its rims mm, interesting. interesting because it because of the aesthetic of it mm. so yeah you get like this this much more subtle finish to the wheel and it just looks like a yeah it just it just hides away rather than having the raw carbon where everyone could look at the weave and, and look at every single wrinkle and crease and question whether it's safe to ride or not. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think, I think it, I agree. I think the, a painted wheel can actually look better on certain bikes. I think someone like Campagnolo does a very nice raw carbon wheel, which looks fantastic on certain bikes. But as far as a wheel that just matches everything, I think the painted ones went over. Yeah. I mean, if uh, but to answer your question, I, I don't know that one. I haven't, I haven't actually personally tried that. Um, I would say my approach would probably be to mask out the logo and then maybe lightly sand it off. 
Mm. That sounds very difficult. Mm. Paint marker it is. <laughs> mm. Or just anyway, buy, a, buy a stem that doesn't have logos yeah, all over it. Yeah, but but Dave, I am with you. Uh, I feel like I feel like we are well well past the era where our bikes need to look like NASCAR race cars. Um, like this yeah. time next to me, which is an older time, and it's got there's, like ninety time logos on it. Yeah, just the handlebars alone have two massive time logos right next to a time mm-hmm. logo on the stem, which is right next to a time logo on the fork. Which is right next to a time logo on the down tube, which and then is right the seat next to tube, a time, and then yeah, on the seat post. Time logo on the on the steer tube cap. Yes, and on the steer tube cap, probably the faceplate as well. Oh, and then there's little time yeah. logos as well. Mm. It's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. Of, that's a lot. Of We've time moved logos. past that, which is at least positive. It is. It is. Yeah. Because I've always been of the opinion that, particularly for things that have a very distinctive design, like I feel like looking at bike brands, I feel like BMC was always really good about this. Like mm. they're they're. The Red shape, black. well, the, the shape <laughs> of their things in general was so distinctive that you could have no logos on it whatsoever, and you could still identify what it is. BMC was definitely not always good with that. They just recently have been very good with it. Well, yes, more. Re- okay, they fine. they were yes. one of the worst in they they used to plaster their bikes with little acronyms and little cheeky oh, yeah. sayings and all that. Like because I I used to work for BMC over a decade ago, and I I I raced for uh the local australian team and my kit used to say across the bum catch me if you can and it was really crap because i wasn't that fast so you'd have people be like huh caught you and then like the bike would the bike in itself would have like this huge logo through the middle of the chainsaw that said like eat my dust um which i turned into stickers and put on like my parent on my mother's um walking crutches at one point when she had a broken foot but uh like it's uh but yeah, I mean, BMC was definitely bad in this regard. But yes, recent years, very good. Very good at uh, software branding. <laughs> okay, very fine. Touche. <laughs> wow. Uh, the, yeah, eat my dust. Or catch me if you can. We're gonna be, I'm going to be thinking about that one a lot. That is, that, that is very funny. <laughs> Got you. <laughs> I bet you get tired of hearing that, Dave. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I haven't worn that kit in many, many years. <laughs> I, I stopped wearing it when uh, BMC launched... Um, right around the time they had a continental team and then they went world tour um and the kit was the same as uh Cadell ended up wearing um or or very similar in terms of colors i stopped wearing it at that point because people just thought i was a, a Cadell fan so yeah and i wasn't sponsored by then mm. So, mm. anyway all right yeah all right then uh zach anything on your mind this week i mean the only thing really is just all the track bikes at worlds right now are just there's a lot of cool stuff like there's a lot going on. Like the new look is crazy. The all the Japanese, the pursuit and sprint bikes are just mind blowing. Um, there's like, then there's more normal ones like the new BMC and the new factor, but there's yeah, just a lot of cool stuff. Lots of, uh, I shouldn't say lots, but there's definitely been uh, a growing number of bikes that use like the super, super wide fork leg and seat stay spacing. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess we first saw that on the Team GB bikes from the last Olympic round, was it? Yeah, the Hope Lotus ones. Yeah, and then, uh, yeah, we're seeing that a little bit more. Um, Just yeah. the new, yeah, the new look is that way in the mm-hmm. Japanese bikes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, super intriguing to see see what's going on there. Uh, Ronan, I look forward to you writing all about it in September. <laughs> yeah. I've been we've been texting every once in a while about things. Yeah. <laughs> of course, of course. He's, he's dying to write something. He's dying. Yeah. Um, <laughs> The the latest track bikes um, give me hope that we can always have uglier road bikes. Yeah, I mean that's what I was saying earlier though. Like if you're going to make a bike that looks wild, 
or like that you're yeah. trying to be fast and like I don't know go all out just yeah make it if you're gonna make it ugly make it fast yeah hmm. yeah all right well I'll, I'll I'll go with you on that one um all right well the, what I have on my mind this week actually was just kind of in the last few days um I think a lot of people will be familiar with uh the idea that well I'm pretty sure I'm not not too worried about doing spoilers at this point. Uh, yeah. So Matthew Vanderpoel won the uh, Elite Men's World Road Championship this past weekend, uh, and he definitely had. I thought you were going to say he won the Mountain Bike World Championship. I'm like, what? That is a spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. That's in a couple of days when he does that. <laughs> <laughs> that would be that would be quite prescient if I were able to talk about right now who won. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, so it was a spectacular race. He won in a really brilliant kind of late attack um but he did also crash during that uh, in the course of that attack and a lot of people have been talking about his broken shoe uh so he slid out in a wet corner scraped the side of his shoe on the ground and his boa dial popped off um so this has sparked some conversation in the article that i wrote on the site about it um about the various pros and cons of different types of shoe closures um and right now it's funny because at the at the most recent eurobike show uh, I was by the physique booth and they had, it was like four or five different types of closures that they use for, for their shoes. Um, pretty much any type that you could have, they had, it was like boa on some ratchet, uh, maybe no ratchets that I can remember. Uh, definitely some Velcro, definitely some laces, various combinations thereof. Um, but it's been a while since we have used ratcheting buckles on shoes. Uh, Boa basically took over from all of that. Uh, we're starting to see a little bit of a resurgence in laces and definitely a little bit of a resurgence in Velcro, at least for, for physique models. Um, I, I think like ratchets, you can also break off. Like, yes, I remember having yeah. like Shimano ones and smash them into a rock and, oh yeah. I and they broke, broke way more ratchets than yeah. I've ever broken Boa. Yeah. I was, yeah. I have done at a cross world cup, the guy I was working with, we had to do a shoe change because his boa got ripped off mm. on the first lap race yeah. chaos. Mm. So it, it does happen. <laughs> like so so yeah, people are definitely trying to say that there people are certainly trying to make the argument that a certain type of closure is better than another one, whatever, but they all seem to have pros and cons. Um and I, I just want to point out that there is a reason why Boa has gotten so popular, and part of it is because they're in the pockets of everyone. No, <laughs> yeah, sorry. Part, right, well, go on, big part, shoe. Part, yeah, big shoe. Part of it is because Boa has been really, really good at being a third-party OEM supplier for shoe partners. Uh, they make it very, very easy to integrate Boa dials into someone's shoes. Um, but the thing, and they handle their aftermarket service of it. They which do, is, and they yep. do it better than anyone else. They do it quite well. Basically, if you have ever had a Boa shoe of any generation type, whatever, if you break it, you contact Boa, and they will send you new ones they, out for free. They FedEx you a new set. Yeah. So I mean, as long as you have one of the like, like somewhat newer style that is repairable, then they're going to take care of you. Um, but the thing I like about Boa is that you, if it's done right, it basically mimics the fit of laces, but with the convenience of a mechanical closure, which is why I think Boa has gotten so popular. Yes. Yeah, it's that, that, that load spreading across the foot when it's done well. I mean, there's some shoes that haven't used Boa particularly well, but that's the difference versus a ratchet. A ratchet basically is just adding a mechanical mechanism versus, but achieving the same thing that a Velcro strap does. Whereas, uh, yeah, a boa can actually, yeah, truly spread that load. This seems just seems like such a silly thing for people to get upset and comments about. Like, you can go out and buy whatever shoe you want with whatever closure you want. Like, all of the options still exist. Like, for someone to just like 
comment on your article and be like, oh, Bo is the worst. Like, yeah. That seems a bit much. And, and it's also worth mentioning that this is kind of a fringe case. It's not like people's BOA dials are breaking all over the place. And again, it is important to remember that ratchets used to break all the time as well. Um, mm-hmm. the, the Velcro thing is interesting, uh, mainly because I do agree that I guess in particular, the way that physique does their power strap stuff is very, very good. Um, but we also but, learned that Velcro doesn't work in the rain or the mud or right. Like, and there's it, a reason why we went to mechanical closures and, and it wears out over time. It's not very easy to adjust on the fly, that sort of thing. Like, so they all have pros and cons, but yes. Yeah, so Matthew Vanderpool did break his BOA equipped shoe in a crash, but Riders crash all the time, and most of the time their bows don't break. Yeah, and he and, and he still won. Yeah, and I would say if you're a punter and you had that crash that Matthew Vanderpoel had, you would still be on the ground. You're probably not getting up as quickly. <laughs> <laughs> you might not have, might not be quite as motivated as he, as like he was the, in that the moment. Bo- either. Like a broken boa on your shoe is probably not a huge priority for you after you've smacked the ground like that. Correct. Um, Unless you're a serious racer, um, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, so that that that's my thought. So, uh, uh, anyone have a public service announcement for this week? Because if not, I've got one. Yeah, James, uh, he's yours. Well, so it related to that Vanderpool crash is um, if people were talking about his broken boa, but the thing that we discovered later was that he also broke his cleat. Um, so it wasn't completely broken, thankfully, because he was still able to clip in mostly, but the the outer third of the rear section of that look cleat was, or of that Shimano cleat was broken off. Um, so it was very, very lucky that more of it didn't break off because then that would have been, you know, it could have been a very different situation. But anyway, um, point being, uh, even if you haven't crashed on your cleats, uh, if you haven't looked at your, no pun intended, if you haven't looked at your cleats in quite a while, uh, it could be time. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm going to recover. How long have you been holding that one in? <laughs> <sighs> oh my! Uh, anyway, <laughs> that was quite the speed play on my part. <laughs> oh, enough! Oh my god! I'm going to have to mute right. your mic. <laughs> anyway. If, well, if go you look at that. Okay. If you haven't inspected your cleats in a while, be they road or gravel or mountain, whatever, uh, I would say it is time for you to look at them. Uh, yes, to look <laughs> at them and maybe do a little bit of a comparison to see. Uh, uh, cleats are one of those things that they just degrade gradually over time. And it's not something that you always notice, um, but it is worth checking out. Uh, if it's been a while since you've inspected your cleats, go. I, I would suggest doing that. Maybe take your shoes into a shop and compare them to a set of new cleats to see what they look like. Um, and if it seems like if the walking pads are worn, that's not really that big of a deal. That's that just affects you know maybe how you like amble around on concrete or something like that. Um, but it's really just the surfaces that engage with the pedal that you are more concerned about, and those can certainly wear. Yeah, you can actually um, a big reason to replace them is that you can introduce uh, overuse injury without without knowing because it slowly creeps up on you like that extra float in your in your pedal system and the one that actually often injures people is uh what a lot of bike fitters refer to as toggle where so you've got your normal float which basically lets your heel go side to side uh but the toggle is actually where your the the shoe can actually rock um side to side on top of the pedal system so it's kind of like your 
it allows your your knee to sort sort of stop losing its tracking in a sense, and and a lot of like your your lower your lower leg is then a lot of the muscles in your lower leg are then used to sort of uh, hold the foot stable. So if you have your shoe clipped in and you you can actually feel it by sort of um rocking the shoe uh, on a on a a plane against the I'm not explaining it very well, but you can rock the shoe on the on the pedal and if and if there's movement in the in that sort of uh i don't know james how would you describe it like that i i would say that the way that it should the way floats should work on a pedal is sort of like if you were to just put your foot flat on a skating rink um you can kind of float around on that plane of the ice Mm -hmm. um when it's worn however it's more like you're standing on like a circular ice cube um like you can still Mm. rotate that way but you can also kind of like roll side to side a little bit and that's that's not always movement that you want yeah yeah that's a, probably a better explainer than what i was doing and yeah that's the one you want to avoid and if you if your system has that then it's it's really worth looking at new cleats and and sometimes even new pedals um like look especially can can get to uh, especially the cheaper versions they will wear out the 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 pedal body surface and that will introduce that that unwanted toggle as well Yeah, to the point where it's almost unsafe yep yep um deck you had a thought i would say similar to last week entire sealant if you can't remember when you last put new cleats on, it's probably time. Yeah, hmm. seems like good. Probably seems good. like good advice. All right. Well, yeah. Um, I think if no one else has a PSA, we're going ahead. And, we're going to go ahead and wrap this episode up because we're kind of about that time anyway. Um, yeah. So, as always, thanks to everyone for listening to this episode. As I mentioned earlier in the show, if you are not already a member of Escape Collective, please consider doing so because, again, we don't run any ads. We don't have any sponsors or anything for this show. So the way we can continue doing this is by people signing up for membership. So if you are a regular listener of Geek Warning and you have not yet signed up, shame on you. Shame. Shame. Uh at the very least, if you're not going to sign up, please at least do us the favor of heading over to iTunes and giving us a review and rating because that at least helps more people find us, which is also helpful. Um, next week's show is going to be a special Ask a Wrench episode where we are going to address a whole bunch of member questions related to repair and maintenance and upgrade and just gear in general. Uh, all of those questions are going to come from our Escape Collective members. So for all of you members who are listening to this, head over to the Discord channel uh, and head over to the Geek Warning geek warning thread that's on there i have i have added a thread on there for ask a wrench questions go ahead and post your questions there and we'll address them next week uh, it'll be myself and dave and zach same crew that's here today plus the addition of brad copeland who has been a guest with the show before so that one should be a great one ne- definitely not to miss um yeah and i think that's about it for me right now so unless anyone else has anything to add we will see you next week i was just add yeah. i was just while you were talking closely looking at this uh time that we mentioned earlier, there are, it says time 12 times on the handlebar, stem, and headset. Mm, that's a lot. It's a lot. Of, yeah, a lot of logos. That's, that's a big bottle of acetone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hmm. All right. Well, on that note. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll see you next week. Thanks again. Yeah. See you guys. Cheers. Yes.